0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hoping you're having a good day and a safe day. We know that there's some severe weather in parts of the country, a lot of precipitation over much of the country, some much-needed precipitation in many places, but some very severe weather in parts of the country, and uh, we urge you to be careful, be safe. Glad you're with us today. We're going to take a look today at some trade issues, including dairy trade issues with both Canada and Mexico. We have USMCA, but we still have some... uh, trade disputes. We'll get into that with Jaime Castaneda. Senior Vice President, Policy Strategy and International Trade for the National Milk Producers Federation. Uh, We're going to talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, about the Future Fuels Act in Minnesota that would reduce carbon intensity and transportation fuel in that state. We'll get his thoughts on that as ACE is supporting that legislation. We'll talk some other biofuels matters as well. Speaking of biofuels, it is National Biodiesel Day, which is a good segue into our first guest Steve Sinsky is CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, thanks for joining us and happy National Biodiesel Day.
2: Thank you, Mike. Great to be with you today.
0: So we have lots to talk about. I want to start, let's start on the trade front. The Senate has unanimously confirmed Catherine Tai to be the U.S. Trade Representative. Your thoughts on that?
2: Really pleased to see uh, her, her nomination and, and have it so widely supported i think that's a testament to you know the strong background that she has on trade she is going to be bringing you know obviously a focus on on making sure that we're we're expanding markets and have fair markets abroad uh the messages that we've delivered to her as in the lead up to her confirmation have been from soybean farmers from the american soybean association we need to keep the phase one trade agreement with china going even as we're navigating those difficult issues between the united states and china whether that's the great power competition human rights democracy uh intellectual property all of those things but we the the china relationship and importance of that market to soybean growers and to u.s agriculture overall is just just very very important to us
0: yeah sometimes i mean we focus obviously on big sales like right now it's corn going to china but whatever it may be we we're happy when we get those big ag sales but you have to look at the bigger picture and there's still a lot of tension and a lot of issues between the U.S. and China to deal with.
2: There certainly are and uh, you know that is uh, again the reason that that and, and, and those issues that do have to be dealt with uh, but they, they need to be dealt with in a way so that we don't jeopardize our markets and and that you know farmers and ranchers don't suffer and so that's certainly a message that uh, we're delivering. And I think, you know, that's the approach of what we've been hearing so far from the Biden administration. They want to work with their allies to engage with China. They want to work with uh, others to try to see how they can, you know, address some of those more problematic uh, aspects of the China relationship. Uh, And so we think that's probably a good thing. The second thing, Mike, that we have shared with Catherine uh, with Tai as our new trade representative is that we also need access to new markets. We can't just rely on the existing markets that we have today. The rest of the world is marching on without us and opening up markets. And there's preferential trade agreements. I mean, through the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or now what it's known as the Comprehensive and Progressive Transportation, uh, uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And we would love to see the United States rejoin, and that gives us access to those fast-growing markets in Southeast Asia. So that's a message we've delivered strongly from the American Soybean Association as well to, to, to her and to Secretary Hillsat.
0: We're talking with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, um, USDA is seeking input from agriculture on uh, climate policy, what are you telling them
2: uh, we're telling them very much. I mean we're very pleased that they're seeking that input, but we're saying that uh you know we support uh you know voluntary incentive based uh programs uh there is no one size fits all solution to farm on farm sustainability um that we need to make sure- that, make sure that uh You know, farmers are the key driver uh, in any kind of climate and sustainability discussions and that we need to make sure that we're uh, taking care of those producers and that they're being rewarded and not left out of those producers who have been implementing these practices for a long, long time. It can't be just for the new adopters. Otherwise, you're going to end up with some real, you know, incentives, uh, some perverse incentives, frankly, to maybe for folks to break out their tillage equipment. Um, to stop doing the right kind of things that farmers have been doing for a lot of years. And so those are the kinds of things we're going to be saying. And then also fitting for here on National Biodiesel Day um, that the role that biodiesel and biofuels play in addressing climate, we think those are some really easy wins to get much more aggressive in the use of biofuels uh, and you could make a significant impact on climate just by doing that as well.
0: Steve, you've been on both sides of this exercise. Do you think um, the administration is truly open to the input of agriculture and will use that information in forming their policies? You
2: know, I'm, I'm, I think so. I'm hopeful. I, I think USDA is sincere in uh, reaching out and wanting to understand. Uh, And hear from farmers. We had an opportunity. Uh, Obviously, I had the opportunity to visit with Secretary Gilsack about this uh, individually with him uh, before his confirmation. And that was one of the things that we talked about. And he was very sincere about that when he spoke to our members and and corn growers and wheat growers and sorghum growers uh, at Commodity Classic. That was one of the things that he emphasized as well. And then, um, you know, we just, uh, our ASA Board of Directors, uh, we heard from Robert Bonney uh, yesterday, um, who is the the Deputy Chief of Staff and the Senior Advisor on Climate. And that was one of the messages that he delivered as well, that they very sincerely want to hear from farmers what works uh, and uh, want to get our input. And they don't want it to be a top-down driven exercise.
0: Steve, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Appreciate it.
2: Great. Thank you very much, Mike.
0: Take care. Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. So Catherine Tai unanimously confirmed by the Senate to be our new U.S trade representative, and certainly there are a lot of trade issues to deal with, China being right at the top of that list, but there are some other trade issues going on as well with both Canada and Mexico when it comes to dairy. Yes, we have USMCA, but having a trade agreement doesn't solve all issues and it doesn't keep uh, things from coming up that have to be addressed and we have that right now in the dairy sector coming up next we will talk with Jaime Castaneda he is senior vice president for policy strategy and international trade for the National Milk Producers Federation he'll bring us up to date on both of these trade issues with Canada and Mexico on dairy stay with us you're listening to AOA Atoms on Agriculture, brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting Around the Table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen, when people work together join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more recently on atoms on agriculture joined now by Jeff Cooper president and CEO of the renewable fuels association Jeff with all the talk now about this 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package uh, I know you're focused on some funds still available to USDA to use now that they could help the biofuels industry with and I know you're hoping they will. We
2: are still hoping they will. And and just yesterday, Mike, uh, ten senators, led by Senators Grassley and Klobuchar, sent a letter to Secretary Vilsack asking him to make sure that ethanol producers are at the top of the list as he begins to think about how to distribute those remaining COVID emergency relief funds that are still sitting at USDA. And you're right, there's still something close to fifteen billion dollars sitting there yet to be deployed. Revenue losses keep piling up for our industry. We know that we're easily north of $5 billion in lost gross revenues over the past 12 months.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. With Cinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers
1: and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Let's talk trade with Jaime Castaneda, Senior Vice President, Policy Strategy and International Trade for the National Milk Producers Federation. And uh, we take a look at our partners in USMCA. We have some dairy issues with both. Let's start, Jaime, with uh, Mexico. What's uh, what's the issue there?
4: Good morning, uh, Mike, and thanks for the opportunity. Mexico, since uh, the current administration of President López Obrador uh, started having a number of different uh, standards that were implemented uh, in, a, in, in, a, in part of a process that if actually they enter into force, uh, they will have a significant impact on trade going into Mexico, specifically on, on cheese, but it could be also be on, on
0: milk powders. So this was not covered under USMCA? Is this something that's come up since that? It is
4: something that has come up after uh, USMCA was negotiated. It's something that actually no country uh, that I uh, remember has ever imposed on a trading partner. Basically, what Mexico is trying to do is using uh, standards of identity, which we have, and that's not a problem. Is the way that actually they enforce those standards of identity. So uh, they're making them so prescriptive uh, that basically are going to uh, desensitize trade
0: into Mexico. So what is the way to address this. Is it through USMCA? Is there a resolution process under the trade agreement or you have to go a different route? Good
4: good question. Uh, Our uh, approach so far has been to uh, have uh, a number of uh, discussions with uh, what is called the Secretaria of Economia in Mexico. That is a combination of uh, our USDR, uh, commerce, and even parts of, of USDA. So this discussions, uh, and we have actually submitted letters, and we have demonstrated to them that uh, that if they implement that that prescriptive enforcement of the standard of identity uh, in a mandatory way, they will be violating uh, a number of, uh, of provisions of USMCA. We have. Uh, openly discussed this in Mexico. So, when the Secretary of Economía submitted this proposal to what uh, what is called CONAMER, which is similar to OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, and as you know, when any agency in the United States does a rulemaking, uh, they have to actually go through OMB, the same way does happen in Mexico. Well. Uh, Due to our efforts, uh, Konamer actually sent the proposal back to Economía, basically not accepting what uh, the Secretary of Economía has done on this uh, proposal. So Economía has to actually redo it. We don't know how they're going to go about it. So uh, no
0: time to to lift uh, our pressure. It's a big issue. Obviously, Mexico is a big market for U.S. dairy. Now, let's look to the north where we have ongoing issues with Canada. Again, that USMCA did not uh, completely take care of. There are still issues there. Bring us up to date on that front.
4: Thanks. Uh, In Canada, as we know, uh, Canadians are, (laughs) I always say it, they're bipolar because on one hand, they're very export-oriented from grains to cattle to just name it uh, most of their products but when it comes to dairy they're probably one of the most protectionist uh, countries in the world and even though our goal was to achieve significant significant new market access under the USMCA based on the previous administration uh, rhetoric by the end we managed to get uh just an incremental uh, new access of about 3.5%. Uh, so so that is actually of the the entire domestic market of, of, of Canada. So that in itself is a very small amount. So what we try to do is that, well, okay, if we're going to have a small amount, we want to make sure that we are uh, able to fulfill all the requirements uh, under that new market access. So example is if all the franchises for cheese, uh, for pizza cheese, are could actually buy directly from manufacturers here in the United States. Well, what Canada did uh, is instead of allowing the pizza chain, Walmart, the Costco of the world to buy directly from companies here in the United States, Canada provided 80% of the quota to further processors, to to folks that actually, our product is gonna compete with them. So obviously, they're either not gonna import or they're gonna buy the lowest uh, price or lowest quality product as opposed to a, an end user that is gonna buy something with a higher uh, value.
0: Well, obviously, this is an issue that uh, now Secretary Vilsack is very familiar with from his uh, previous job as at U.S. Dairy Export Council. And now you have a new trade representative in Catherine Tai. Um, I'm sure these issues have been called to her attention as well.
4: Indeed. And uh, we have a long uh, relationship with the um... Catherine Tsai, well, uh, she will be signed uh, and become Ambassador uh, tai, uh this afternoon, uh, and, and I believe that she understands perfectly. Uh, we had a number of discussions with her during USMCA negotiations about this particular issue, and in her testimony, uh, based on answers to a number of senators, she uh, emphasized the need for enforcement so we are hoping that she will be announcing soon either further consultations with canada or establishment of a panel a tribunal panel that will then make a determination uh, on whether canada is complying with their obligations or not
0: you know obviously passing a trade deal like usmca was very important but this is a reminder that it does not solve all issues, does it? Correct. Uh,
4: there's there's always going to be, um, especially in countries like Canada, there's always going to be uh, a, a way for them to try to undermine uh, agreements. Uh, I have no problem saying that. I have been working on Canada for more than 25 years, and I understand very much uh, where they're coming from. With Mexico, I do believe that uh, we have an opportunity to solve our irritants. I mean, we both have uh, our own issues. Uh, Mexico with the United States and the United States, there is not just uh, uh, just one issue. But we have a number of them. So I, I do have faith that with Catherine Tsai and Secretary Vilsack uh, on board, we'll, we'll be able to actually have a better relationship with Mexico.
0: Real quick, uh, Jaime, your thoughts on uh, dairy exports for 2021? You optimistic?
4: Yes, we. we, I think that we remain very competitive. Uh, Obviously, folks are waiting out uh, to to see some of this new uh, money. As you know, the food boxes and everything else that the Department of Agriculture is going to do with respect to uh, providing. quality food to, to families in need, have in the past some impact on, on markets. I think that uh, the Secretary Bill is very much aware of that and I think that the staff of USDA would do our best to, to, to manage that distribution in a way that it doesn't impact uh, markets. So I have a lot of confidence that uh, 2021 is going to be a very good year especially uh, with um, COVID-19 being a little bit um, in, the, in the back mirror, hopefully, at least for, for, for many, many countries, uh, that we're going to be in, in certainly in a better shape.
0: And could be an even better year if we can get these issues resolved with Mexico and Canada. Jaime, thank you very much. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate it.
4: My pleasure. Right. Anytime. Thank you so much.
0: Take care. Jaime Castaneda, Senior Vice President, Policy Strategy and International Trade for the National Milk Producers Federation. So we have a new trade representative. Of course, we have a new EPA administrator as well, Michael Regan. Coming up next, we'll talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, and what he hopes to see from EPA under their new leadership. And we'll look at uh, some legislation proposed in the state of Minnesota that ACE is supporting. We'll get his thoughts on that next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
5: Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at dtnpf.com. Bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day to day business decisions. Their award winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like Would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Well, the daily export wire, we saw more sales to China once again. 696,000 metric tons of old crop corn announced here this morning. That's the third straight day of a daily export sale of old crop corn to China. Now on the weekly export sales and shipments, those could be viewed as bullish for corn, soybeans and milo and neutral for wheat. For the weekend of March 11th, USDA reported an increase of 38.8 million bushels of corn export sales and an increase of 9.5 million bushels for the 21-22 crop. Now, last week's export shipments of 86.6 million bushels were well above the 57.6 million bushels needed each week to achieve USDA's export estimate of 2.6 billion bushels for the 2020-21 crop. For the weekend of March 11th, USDA reported an increase of 7.4 million bushels of soybean export sales. Last week's shipments of 19.6 million bushels were above the 8.7 million bushels needed to achieve USDA's export estimate of 2.25 billion bushels for the 2020-21 crop. Now, as we take a look at the grain complex, though, so kind of surprising that grains are lower here despite those good export sales and shipment numbers for the daily wire and the week. We see May corn down eight and three quarters at five forty-nine and a quarter. December corn three lower, four seventy-two and a half. May beans down eight and a quarter, fourteen and a half November beans down fifteen and three quarters at twelve nineteen and three quarters. May bean meal down three ten a ton at four hundred one eighty. May bean oil down fifty one points at fifty-four oh nine. May Chicago wheat five and a half lower, six thirty four and a half. May K C wheat down eight and three quarters at five ninety two and a quarter. May Minneapolis spring wheat five and a lower, six twenty eight. Live cattle for April up thirty at one nineteen seventy two. March feeder cattle up thirty seven at one thirty seven thirty. And April lean hogs down seventeen at ninety three fifty. The Dow Jones up fifteen points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Jesse Allen.
6: I can't get my computer to work. Let
5: me help you with that.
6: How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site.
1: Our geeks literally come on site. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered.
7: Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Adams on Agriculture brought
0: to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: The Future Fuels Act has been introduced in the Minnesota House Climate and Energy Finance and Policy Committee. The bill intended to reduce the carbon intensity of transportation fuel in Minnesota. The American Coalition for Ethanol is supporting this legislation and joining us now is Brian Jennings, CEO of ACE. Brian, good to talk with you again. Uh, Why do you like this bill? What's the uh, significance of it if passed?
8: Mike, thanks so much for the opportunity to join you and your your listeners to talk about the Future Fuels Act. We like this bill quite simply because we're confident that if enacted, it would increase the use of E15 mid-level blends like E30 and E85 in the state of Minnesota. The modeling we did to determine how Minnesota could achieve a 20% reduction in the carbon intensity of their gasoline actually shows that the lowest cost and the quickest way to get there is not through more electric vehicles it's actually through blending more ethanol 315 and e30 and e85 so that's the primary reason we support it this is a bill that frankly we've been working to uh, try to develop for the last three years with a very diverse group of stakeholders and you know what's what's I think really interesting about this is not only do you have ethanol uh, industry support and and farm support, but there's environmental support. The Nature Conservancy endorses this bill. The Union of Concerned Scientists endorses this bill. Um, General Motors and Tesla and a wide variety of others in the auto sector do. Um, so we're we're happy to see this bipartisan bill introduced. I think there's a long way to go in the in the legislature yet, but uh, we're, we're very encouraged by this step.
0: Well, obviously, Minnesota has been a state that has been a real leader in, uh, in biofuels, and this comes at such a critical time with the administration and Congress looking at uh, clean uh, air uh, climate policies uh, and programs that they want to establish, a chance to show them again right here. You've got, a, you've got a solution to the problem you're trying to address right here in front of you that you can tap into right now.
8: Well, that's exactly right. Not only is this an important discussion at the state level, but as Congress and the Biden administration start ramping up their activity this year, climate is near the top of their to-do list. There are a variety of states that are tackling the topic of climate right now through something like the Future Fuels Act, through a clean fuel standard. Of course, California and Oregon on the West Coast already have programs in place we think those are okay programs but they've got some flaws or some imperfections new mexico is likely to enact a clean fuel standard this year the state of washington is likely to do it and even new york state on the east coast is likely to enact a clean fuel standard what we need to do and one of the things we're trying to accomplish with this minnesota legislation is to demonstrate to congress to demonstrate to the Biden administration that there's a Midwest flavor that we can put on clean fuel policy that ensures that farmers and biofuels are part of the solution. Just as you said, Mike, that's really important to us. Uh, We don't want a federal policy someday to be modeled after the California low carbon fuel standard. We would very much prefer to see something like this Minnesota program uh, modeled by Congress if, if federal
0: policy is taken up someday. Yeah, that's why this is so important. It can set a precedence for uh, other states to follow, for the federal government to follow, as you said. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, is with us. Brian, we have a uh, new uh, EPA Administrator, Michael Regan, now in place. What are your hopes for this EPA based on what we've gone through the last several years? uh, How optimistic are you that we're going to see uh, more positive, favorable rulings from this agency when it comes to biofuels?
8: Well, um, Michael Regan, Administrator Regan, inherits
0: an incredibly
8: long list of things to do uh, at EPA. You and I have talked about that. The Biden EPA started off on the right foot when um, a few weeks ago they said they were going to sort of reverse the position that they had taken on small refinery exemptions, that they agree with the court victory that we and others secured in the Tenth Circuit, which would dramatically limit those small refinery exemptions. But as you and I have discussed as well, uh, the final uh, decision on sort of where those 66 pending small refinery waivers go We'll have to wait until the Supreme Court uh, hears that case in in April. But beyond that, you know, we want to see um, sort of integrity restored to the way the RFS is enacted. Uh, You know, Michael Regan needs to work very quickly to get the renewable volume targets, those those, uh, volume obligations proposed and finalized for both the 2021 and the 2022 calendar year. Uh, We're already into March, obviously, in 2021, so EPA is behind on that. Um, There's the E15 label uh, proposed rule, Mike, that we think is really important that we want Mr. Regan to continue to work on either revising, improving that E15 label, or our preference would be to get rid of it altogether altogether. Um, EPA probably next month, Mike, is going to establish or propose new standards for vehicles when it comes to their fuel economy and their tailpipe emissions, and we think that's an opportunity for high-octane fuel to play a role to help automakers comply with those standards. Um, so there's a long list of things that we're going to be engaged and have been engaged with EPA on that Mr. Regan will have to tackle.
0: And, of course, he's also hearing from the oil industry, so uh, we'll see how this goes This tug-of-war continues. Meanwhile, Brian, uh, we've seen another market, the Kansas City area, uh, opening up to year-round E15 sales.
8: Yeah, the, the, one of the quirks of the, the Reed vapor pressure um, limitations was that the Kansas City area was considered to be out of attainment uh, with some national air quality standards. And once EPA, under the Trump administration, opened the door to E15 year-round, determining through that regulation that E15 helps reduce evaporative emissions of of gasoline uh, blended with ethanol, it sort of opened the door for the Kansas City marketplace to to look at that issue or revisit that issue again. And so we're really grateful that EPA has enabled uh, the Kansas City metro area to uh, open their doors to E15, it's a pretty big marketplace in the Midwest, and it just gives more options to um, to the retailers there. And just as a personal note, I drive to Kansas City all the time for my kids' soccer <laughs> tournaments, and I'm delighted that I'm going to be able to fill up on E15 now that uh, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be going down there soon.
0: Yeah, that's great. You know, you mentioned open door, and I. Trying to look at what's happening right now with the changes uh, in Washington, I, I, to me this is a one of the positives I see that there is a door opening right now for biofuels because of the climate policy push, but we thought there have been open doors in the past only to have them slammed or partially closed on us, uh, but it seems like a real opportunity here, do you agree? I do, but I
8: also, I'm, I'm with you that I think um, we've got to be really vigilant about this. I mean, I recall uh, I had an opportunity to meet early on in in Scott Pruitt's office when he was administrator of EPA, and he said all the right things. He was talking about octane, um, but they were issuing these small refinery exemptions sort of in the dark behind our back at that time, and I thought, gosh, if I would have known what they were doing behind the scenes while we had such a positive meeting so i just think we've got to be really honest and upfront with this administration that we appreciate the open door policy but we expect them to follow the rule of law when it comes to the rfs and we need to have a seat at the table in these climate discussions otherwise rural america is going to really feel like that washington has turned their back on them
0: Oral arguments in the Supreme Court case on the small refinery exemptions, I believe April 27th. What are you expecting there?
8: Well, we think we have a very strong case to be made. Um, We won this unanimously in the Tenth Circuit. All of the judges on the Tenth Circuit bench agreed with us. They also unanimously rejected the refiner's appeal. Uh, You and I have talked about the fact that we were surprised that the Supreme Court wanted to hear this case given uh how how resoundedly we want it in the 10th circuit but we feel good about uh, where we are we think the law is on our side and the fact that epa has reversed their position i think is very helpful to us but you know we're not going to know until until oral arguments happen on the 27th of april and, and we'll be hoping for the best and expect i think we can expect a decision out of the supreme court probably by the 4th of july
0: Hmm, interesting, but I am nervous. Just the fact that they're 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 taking it up.
8: Yeah, I, that's probably how most people are handicapping things. But we've talked with the attorneys and some others. And one thing they may do, if you want to look at this in an optimistic way, is they may want to double down on the tenth circuit sort of slapping EPA's wrist when it comes to abusing their power. You know, this is a Supreme mm-hmm. Court with a more conservative uh, tilt now. They do not want to see government agencies sort of overreaching in terms of what their authority is. That's clearly what EPA did when they issued so many of these small refinery exemptions. So it could be the Supreme Court wants to sort of tamp that activity down.
0: I like that positive spin. That's a good way to wrap it up. Brian, good to talk with you. Thank you.
8: Thanks so much, Mike. Take care.
0: Take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Stay with us. You're listening to
7: AOA.
0: <music> Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
3: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Moth, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts.
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture. And we're joined now by Chuck Connor, President, National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. What are your thoughts on the $1.9 trillion stimulus package as far as? what's in there for agriculture?
5: Early on in this
8: process, Mike, I had had come out and NCFC had come out in support of the provisions relating to uh, help for minority farmers. And, you know, from my years at USDA and just managing a lot of these programs, I think, you know, they have experienced many legitimate problems and think some help for them was good. I think what really disappointed me in the end, though, Mike, was just the fact that it was such a partisan operation. So many of us had hoped that perhaps with the a divided Congress where really both bodies are almost split right down the middle between Republicans and Democrats. And with the president saying that he wanted to sort of change the ways of Washington and start working together again, you know,
0: we had hoped maybe things would be different. For the information important to rule America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
1: Ag retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon Spread Sense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, with spring field work getting very close, won't be long until that busy, busy time hits. So before you put your machines to work, it's important to make sure that they are ready for the demands of the planting season ahead. Today, we're going to talk about that with Mimi Falkman, a premium lubricants expert from Synex, the energy brand of CHS, to discuss how a top-to-bottom lubricants checkup can really save you a lot of time, money, and hassle this spring. Mimi, thank you for joining us. Why is it so important to perform a lubricants checkup before they hit the field this planting season?
9: Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. Um, You know, it's really important to perform that lubricants checkup because lubricants um, is really um, the the first line of defense when it comes to the harsh elements that your equipment runs through. And just because your machines were in good, good condition when you put them away last fall, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're still in good condition when you take them out this spring. Um, You know, even though they're in storage, there's a lot of rust and moisture and changing temperatures which can occur. And that can really result in damaging your equipment um, on the inside without you even necessarily knowing. And as farmers head out into, uh, at least up in this northern area, the wet, sloppy fields that we have. Those demanding conditions can be uh, pretty hard on your equipment. And so to ensure that you don't have any issues um, through planting this year and you don't have to deal with any downtime, it's really important to focus on your lubricants um, and make sure that you're using high quality products and that you're putting uh, the appropriate lubricant in your machine for the conditions that you're running in.
0: Well, let's talk about the most prominent lubrication point, that being the engine. What's important to consider when lubricating an engine?
9: Yeah, the engine is really the heart of your machine. Um, Many diesel engines today that are coming off the line um, are really put under intense heat and um, intense operating pressures just because they're trying to really maximize the efficiency within that engine. Um, That results in um, really... If you're using a subpar lubricant, um, within those types of conditions, those intense pressures can almost cook it. Um, So if you cook a lubricant, obviously it's gonna oxidize, you're gonna get that black sludge, um, and it's gonna prevent your engine from being protected this spring. Um, And since it is the heart of your equipment, you're gonna wanna make sure you're putting the best inside there. Um, And by selecting a synthetic product, such as the Senex Maxtron. EnviroEdge, or a Synthetic Blend, Maxtron DEO, these products both exceed performance um, in these types of tough conditions that a lot of farmers go through, and they're really engineered for exceptional stability, um, and they are uh, also contain a, a balanced act additive package as well to really protect against those contaminants and keep your engine operating longer.
0: What are some other areas uh, that should be getting attention before they hit the field other than the engine what else should they be thinking about when it comes to uh, lubricating
9: yeah i would say there are three main areas of your equipment that you really need to think about the type of lubricant you're putting um, in those areas to protect them because As they operate, they're really encountering a lot of uh, tough conditions, Um, and they're expected to also handle a lot of those same types of pressures that the engines do. Um, But first is transmissions. Um, It's obviously one of the most important components within your machine as well, uh, transferring that power from the engine to the wheels. And as that transfer of power occurs, uh, a lot of heat is created within within that space. And so... Um, Again, using a a synthetic product that provides uh, exceptional stability under those intense thermal conditions um, really helps you prolong uh, the gear life of those transmissions and make sure that they're operating um, effectively and you're not going to have any um, issues during planting. The second place I would say are the wheel axles. Uh, These really require an extra thick lubricant to uh, decrease um, that high pressure that occurs in there. Um, so I would recommend, um, you know, finding a lubricant that really stands up to uh, those conditions and has that durability um, and that antioxidant stability as well, such as our Maxtron um, GL product. Uh, the final area I would really call attention to um, is the chassis. So uh, that's the outer framework and it's really exposed to those elements um, and so by selecting um, a product like our Maxrun FS which is um, really resistant and built to um, prevent any type of water washout um, and really protect against rust and corrosion so that that outer framework is protected um, as your equipment operates.
0: Obviously Mimi these are things we talk about each year um, but it's just a good reminder that before they go to the fields take these steps now and it'll pay off in the long run.
9: Yes, it will, planning, planning, planning. Um, I know everyone has a lot on their plates, especially farmers, as we're trying to get uh, prepared for the season. Um, and lubricants sometimes can be you know, the last thing on the list, um, but it can have a huge payout in the long run, um, just because a high quality product uh, can deliver that high, pro- high quality performance, but it can also protect your equipment for longer, so you can get the most out of your, um,
0: your, your equipment. And farmers have any questions? Where can they go?
9: They can visit Cinex.com to find their nearest Cinex dealer.
0: All right, Mimi, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Mimi Falkman, a premium lubricants expert for the energy brand of CHS. All right, and with that, we wrap things up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we have another trade issue we want to take a look at. We talked today about trade issues with Canada and and Mexico. Uh, But there's one with Japan. The U.S.-Japan trade deal is working very, very well, especially for beef. We're selling a lot of beef into Japan, so much so it has caused a bit of a problem. We've hit a uh, trigger level where they can put some tariffs on to protect their domestic uh, industry. So how big of an impact is that going to have on overall U.S. beef sales into Japan? Is that something that could be addressed? We'll get the latest on that and take a a closer look at the the sales that china is making especially right now u.s corn we talked about this earlier uh that's good news certainly for uh ag producers as we sell more to china but uh, there are some bigger issues at play here and how will the biden administration deal with china that's a big question mark too we'll talk about that as well coming up on tomorrow's program hope you will join us right here on aoa